Anne, I hear you've been stepping up your training in preparation for it. How do you know that? <laughs> you told me. <laughs> you've been spying on me. <laughs> Welcome to A Window on Samri, where we take you inside South Australia's independent, not-for-profit health and medical research institute. Each episode, we get to know the people driving our life-changing research, getting into what motivates them personally and how their work is delivering a brighter, healthier future for all. Karen, what is it about bringing new life into the world that you think is so special, being part of that experience? It's been a little while since I was in the labour ward delivering babies, but it's it's funny because you think you would get used to it and, you know, it's part of your job and um, it's just something that you do every day, but every single time it was different, it was special, it was amazing, I guess just being part of that whole experience. I, I really enjoyed being part of the family's experience during that time. You know, of course, you're bringing, helping to bring this new life, but just, you know, the joy and the all the emotions of the family at the same time, you, you sort of get caught up in all that emotion. I was getting goosebumps remembering it. So, yeah, it was, it's, it was beautiful. I was very privileged to um, be part of that and be part of those families' journey, yeah. What do you remember about delivering your first baby? I was terrified. <laughs> you don't do it alone. And we used to have to see a lot of uh, deliveries before you actually got to do to do that by yourself. But uh, yeah, I was very scared. But, you know, it is a natural process and babies are going to come out regardless whether you're there sort of helping or not. But yeah, it was just amazing, an amazing experience. Yeah, I was. it was very special. What is scary about holding life in your hands that's so precious at that first stage? I guess it's, it was less scary about holding the life in your hands, but I guess you just, you have the safety of the woman. You have to look after two people. You know, if you're a nurse and you're looking after a patient, you have one person to worry about. They're there and you can see what they're doing. And um, I guess you feel the weight of how important it, it is as well. Like it's the it's, most important thing there it is. It is. Isn't it? And, you know, there's ways you can monitor the health of the baby throughout delivery, but you still, you, you can't actually get to them. You can't see them. So it's just such a big responsibility. Um, there's a bit of know. like a leap of faith almost in yeah, each delivery. There is, you know, and there's the health of the mum and the baby, but there's also, you know, it's a major event for the woman and her family and, you know, you want to make sure that it, it goes how she would want it to go. And, yeah, there's just lots to consider. It's a big, I found it a big weight but, you know, loved it. But, yeah, it's a big responsibility. How would it feel once it was successful though and you sort of had the aftermath, the yeah. afterglow of it? Yeah, and the afterbirth, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Relief, joy, you know, like I said, being part of that, um, the emotion of the family, seeing the baby and checking and everything's all fine and then, you know, just seeing that family unit together and, yeah, it, it was great. I loved, I loved that part of it. <laughs> what drew you to wanting to care for mothers and babies in the first place? I'd, I'd always been sort of drawn to caring for people and wanted to be a nurse and so I started nursing, um, general nursing, but I was just always fascinated by pregnant women and always loved children you know, at school, I didn't know whether I wanted to be a kindy teacher in childcare or a nurse and went down the nursing path. But yeah, was fascinated by pregnancy and just loved that, the whole thought of, you know, bringing 
helping care for women and bring new life into the world. And so then when I went and did my midwifery and had a taste of that, there was no going back to general nursing. It's like this is, you know, where the area that I I want to be in. So that really hit home when you were part of those kinds of experiences, yeah, which yeah. was so intense and momentous. You felt like this is my life purpose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even, you know, the, there's a lot more areas to work in in midwifery than just the labour ward and that, that those last day or so. Even just caring for women throughout pregnancy in the antenatal period and, you know, just knowing that, you know, there are things that you can do within that time frame that can actually impact the life of the growing baby in into childhood and in sometimes into adulthood. And so. it all counts. I was going to ask you about that. What is the importance of that start of life health and, and getting that period right in terms yeah. of the flow on effect? Well, you know, there's more and more research all the time to show how important that is. And now it's extending even further and then you know, there's a lot more research into pre-pregnancy health and, you know, getting things right before you conceive. So everything's set up for, you know, an optimal environment for the baby. But, you know, a lot of women are really motivated during pregnancy too to make changes because they're invested in, you know, they want to do the best for their baby. So it's a really good time to educate women on, you know, what's best for them and their baby. And there are some small differences that they can make that can um, help but those small things. differences can make a significant difference exactly. potentially yeah. to the child. Yeah, You spent many years caring for premature babies on the neonatal yeah. yep. ward at the Women's and Children's That's Hospital. Right. What did you see families really struggle with during that time? Look, a lot of babies, you know, do really well that are, that are born early. We've come a long way, the care of these babies and babies survive now that are born at much earlier gestation than they used to, which is fantastic. But, I, you know, you just see the, the mums and the dads just struggle with the fact that sometimes these babies are in hospital for so long, they tend to have a bit of a roller coaster ride. You know, they might be doing really well and then all of a sudden they're not doing so well and just seeing the families go through that. and That uncertainty. Yeah, the uncertainty, not knowing how things might pan out, how will their baby ever, you know, Will they take them home? Will they be a healthy, you know, normal child that develops normally? And a lot of times they just get exhausted because they want to be there all the time, you know, with their child. And yeah, and then seeing what the babies go through, you know, with some of the procedures and that that they need to have done. And it must be challenging for some families to not feel a bit bitter about it as well because it's sort of like, well, why is this happening to my newborn. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure there's there's so many emotions that they go through and the grief of not having that, you know, standard normal process that you have a picture in your mind of what your labor and your pregnancy and your birth and your, you know, happy bouncing baby at the end of it. So, yeah, there'd, there'd be some grief and sadness, but also, you know, I guess a lot of women and families would be happy that their baby was born okay and that we have the technology to help, you know, even if they are born early. So so how did you help families with that firsthand in terms of what would you say to them or how would you care for them to make them feel better about it? Uh, look, you just try and support them as best they could. I think things have also, since I worked in the neonatal unit, things have come a long way in terms of putting the parents first and really designing, even like redesigning um, the spaces to help with the parents, like making it um, more parent friendly. Um, so there's places, you know, 
private places to breastfeed and and things like that. So I think, yeah, things have changed and and they are for the better. But yeah, all all you can do as, I mean, you're there caring for their baby, just trying to bring them into that, get them involved in that so they still feel it's their baby that, you know. Because they have to spend a lot of time apart. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you try and involve them in the care and help with that bonding, you know, and just, yeah, do whatever you can within your power to make their journey, not that it's easy, but as easy as you can. What did you struggle with with that part of your career? There's obviously times when it was sad, when things didn't go so well and some not all babies actually survive. So, you know, and that's always really challenging. If you have got to know the family and you're looking after that baby or even if just it happens in the unit and you're not looking after the the baby, you still feel it, you still feel the sadness and, you know, that, that that happens. So, I mean, that's always hard when you're working in health. And How would you put that into perspective and come to grips with that when that happened? Yeah, it's hard. I guess it's something as a nurse or a midwife or anyone in health, you you sort of just learn to deal with it. I think it hit home more for me once I had my own children. It sort of, I don't know, it almost made you feel it a bit more because you could have more of an empathy not saying that you can't be, you know, sympathetic or empathetic if you haven't had children, but for me, yeah, it, it was even a bit more challenging because you sort of can you, you imagine it if it happened to you and you can attach um, really, the thought to the feeling. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, th- there's also a lot of joyous moments as well. So I guess that's you you, you try and rationalise that in your mind that sort of balances out the sad the sad times. So. What was it like for you having your own children after? having a career already of delivering other people's children. Yeah, it was interesting. It's, it's, it is interesting because, you know, you can have all the intellectual knowledge, you can read all the textbooks. When you're actually living it, it's different. I don't think it really helped at all. I mean, maybe it did, I don't know. But when you've got a, a my first cried all the time and I'm thinking, I'm a midwife. <laughs> How can I not make this baby sleep? <laughs> You know, so yeah, it it didn't really help with having a settled child, but did it make you feel even more passionate about the work that you do? I think it gave insight into, like I said, you know all the, you you know intellectually you know everything that happens, but then actually feeling it and experiencing it, I think that added another depth uh, to you know of knowledge and understanding, I guess. Yeah. Was it clear to you that there was a real need for more research in this area in general in regards to prematurity and the time before birth, everything? Did that sort of stand out to you when you were working? When I was working, I I didn't really have an understanding that there were things that could be done to perhaps reduce preterm birth. I'm not sure. Well, in in regard to nutrition, I don't think we we probably didn't even know that it wasn't really known back then either. But so I mean, there was all there's always when you're working in a clinical environment or in health. I think there was always the knowledge that to look at why do we do things the way we do and like question and is could it be better? Is there a way that we could do this better to have a better result better outcomes so there was always that quick I always had those sort of questions in my mind even when I was um, working as a midwife 
and if there was ever any research in in the unit, I was you know quite ready to help and help out with the research. But I think that will always be on. We'll always need to be looking around and asking questions. Is there a, a way we could do this better? Because until probably you've actually always done, will be. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> that's just yeah. That's how I roll. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. What made you turn your hand to research? It was a little bit by accident. I mean, I was interested in, and then a role just came up that was a part-time role just to t- have to help out with some research in another department within the hospital. It was a paediatric influenza study. So I was sort of seconded from where I was to help out on that for uh, six months. And I just, even though it wasn't in my field, I mean, it was still helping children, but I just loved the research process. I loved the fact that, you know, there's a protocol that you have to follow. There's rules. There's a beginning and a middle and an end. And yeah, it just really suited me and that you get an answer to a question at the end of it. So that sort of piqued my interest in research. And I started working with Professor McCready's once I came back from maternity leave on a uh, infant feeding study and going and visiting uh, families' homes and, you know, weighing and measuring babies and in a research trial there. And just I, ne- I never looked back from there, actually. My career just progressed from there and I got more and more involved with the research and then went on to do my PhD and, yeah, so now I design my own research. So, Was it hard to give up midwifery? I, I did miss that one-to-one contact that you have with people and getting, you know, that that's you sort of get a warm, fuzzy feeling when you're looking after someone and you have that connection. And that high with of delivering them. a baby. And that, well. yeah, the high of delivering a baby. But I don't know, I... It was great at the time, but I just love, I love the research and I love now that the fact I get to do research, but I'm still in that space. So I'm still working in research with pregnant women and helping them and helping children. So I still sort of feel I'm connected to um, the whole pregnancy, childbirth, children side of things, but just in a different way. So I, it's the best of both worlds for me because, yeah, I do love the research side of it so totally does it feel like you can actually contribute more as a researcher than as a midwife Um, or differently I suppose I think differently maybe not so much more but definitely in just in a different way so you know instead of helping a different family or families each day what we do now is actually spread around the world so people look at the papers that we write here from Samri Women and Kids and use them when they make new guidelines for ways to treat different childhood conditions or pregnancy throughout the world. So the impact that we have is far-reaching, which is, yeah, so it's different than affecting, you know, the number of families you could affect on a day-to-day basis. And it must be cool to sit back and think, oh, I did that, I was part of that. Yeah. And that's a real thing and the world actually hadn't seen that before exactly and um i think i've been very lucky because you know a lot of people work in research for years and years and years and sometimes you don't always get the result you're expecting or or it takes a long time or it takes real take takes a long time but i've been lucky enough to from the trials that i worked on you know back when i started my research career and now there's so much evidence now that they've actually been translated and and changed clinical practice. So from the work that we've done on omega-3 over the last 15, 16 years, we now um, have 
added a test that women can have for free to find out what their level of omega-3 is in their blood. And then a simple act of taking omega-3 supplements, if they're low in omega-3, can actually help reduce their risk of preterm birth. So I've seen it come full circle into actually changing practice. And a lot of, you know, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it takes a lot, lot. Well, a lot um, has to go right to get to that exactly. point. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's pretty amazing to see that actually happen. So yeah, and be part of that. And seeing your research translate into clinical practice, that's yeah. really the goal for researchers, isn't it? Well, that's why you do it. That's, yeah, the, the whole the whole aim of it is to find ways to improve life by and, you know, insert it into everyday clinical practice so it can help, you know, so many people. So what have you and your colleagues found out about the link between omega-3 and preterm birth? Yeah, so we, we firstly did a trial to see if omega-3 would reduce postnatal depression and help with infant development. And that was back in, uh, I think, 2005, um, the Domino trial. We didn't see any really strong results in that area, but what we did see from that trial, when you because you always have some, they're called secondary outcomes that you look at, you look at what, are the, you know, what else that, that omega-3 in pregnancy could have affected, and we saw a big reduction in preterm birth. So that's when we went on to do the OREP trial. And in the OREP trial, uh, it was a big national trial, over five and a half thousand women. Um, Half of them had omega-3 supplements and the other half had supplements that didn't have omega-3. And overall, we didn't see any big differences. But when we looked deeper into the results of the the OREP trial, we saw that women who are low in omega-3 in early pregnancy and then if that was supplemented with omega-3, like took supp- omega-3 supplements, then it actually reduced their risk of early preterm birth quite significantly. There'd been a lot of other research over the last 10 years as well. There's a Cochrane review that had over 70 trials in it. That also suggested that omega-3 reduced preterm birth. So that together with the results of our OREP trial analysis sort of that was enough then to say, hey, look, we've got an answer to this. But it wasn't as simple as, okay, everyone should just take omega-3 well, supplements no, because right. if you have levels of omega-3 that are too high, then that's also bad. Exactly. So it's the same with a lot of nutrition studies that if you don't have enough, it's not ideal, but having too much also isn't ideal. So it sort of cemented that thinking that it depends on uh, what's already in your blood as to whether you need additional omega-3 as well. So it's not just a matter of, right, everyone go out and take fish oil supplements. That'd be good, but Yeah, I mean, it'll be easy, (laughs) but that's that's not the answer. And I guess that's what the OREP trial proved, and that's why we didn't see any because, you know, some people were low, some people were high, everyone was taking them. It wasn't clear what was actually happening. So, um, and I guess that's the benefit of research and looking deeper into all of we, you know, that big trial that we did. And and so now with the screening program, which is the first in the world, what's that yeah. shown initially? So, yeah, so together with SA Pathology, um, working with them, we've added in that free omega-3 test into the early, it's called the SAMSAS, the South Australian Maternal Antenatal Screening Program. Well done. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, um, it's just added, added onto that form. And so there's no extra blood test. Women can just have the test. And we're finding similar results to OREP in that around 17% of women are returning results that are low. 
and then those results go back to their GP and then they're advised to take supplements. So we will be continuously evaluating that program and at the end of it we'll then look at the preterm birth rate to see if, you know, implementing a blood test and advice to women to take supplements if they need them can actually have an effect in, you know, a real world setting once it's out in the community. And you're also on a mission to find out the ideal amount of iodine that pregnant women should consume in their diet for their baby's development as well. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, that's right. So women who are advised in pregnancy to take an iodine supplement, but again, it's that whole theory of, well, if you already have enough, do you actually need more? So... We're doing a trial, a national trial, where we're inviting women who are less than 13 weeks of pregnancy to take part. And what we're doing is half of the women will have a prenatal multivitamin supplement that has iodine in it, and the other half will have one that's had the iodine removed. But we'll only include women who we know are already getting enough iodine from their diet because we think that if they're getting enough iodine from their diet, they don't actually need the additional iodine and that too much can actually result in lower developmental scores in their children, just the same as, you know, not quite having enough um, does as well. So again, it's a question that needs to be answered. Uh, There hasn't been a clinical trial of iodine supplements on top of having iodine in the diet because um, in Australia and a number of other countries, our food is fortified um, with iodine. So it's important to know, are they getting, are they doing the right thing? Are they getting the right amount? And you're changing the mindset of, okay, so the rule of thumb is you should just take it, you should just blanket rule, you should just take omega-3, you should just take iodine. And that's actually not true, but people wouldn't know that and they certainly wouldn't know what their levels are of that and that that's actually crucial. Yeah. It's pretty important. Yeah, I guess it's a bit, you know, sort of moving towards precision nutrition. I like the sound of that. Yeah, (laughs) and it amazes me. Like I would, even as a midwife, I'd, I didn't know that nutrients could have such an effect. You know, who would have thought that a supplement could change your risk of having a preterm birth or not? I had, yeah, I had no idea. So I'm not surprised that people aren't aware of that. But I don't know, Some it seems like some people do have the mentality that, oh, if something's good for me, more must be better. So I'm not just going to take one. I'll take three of those. <laughs> it's like, no, no, that's not how it works. Moderation is yeah. key. How does working at Samri help all of this come together? Well, we've got such a fantastic group at Samri, women and kids um, of of researchers, and we work with clinicians. We're actually based within the Women's and Children's Hospital, which is really beneficial to us being um, a part of the hospital as well and, you know, access to pregnant women and their children. We have great statisticians as well. And just all, I guess, all the infrastructure with Samri Trials, the way you do trials has changed a lot over the last two years, uh, especially with the co- with COVID pandemic. So we've changed the way we do business really and have tried to go a bit more survey-based, electronic-based, use digital marketing to try and enrol people so we don't have to see people face-to-face with all the social distancing requirements. And I guess Samri has all that um, great IT team to help out and the marketing and comms team that give us advice. So I guess you're just being a part of summary, you have access to all the experts that you need to bring everything together to be 
because you know we're, we the way we recruit for our trials now we're sort of leading the way with that a lot of well we have been doing it for a while now but we are one of the first you know groups to start doing on that and that's i think because we had the support of all of those other areas within Samri to help just get it up and going when we needed to. Well, it was that real mecca of collaboration which exactly. ends up in things happening faster than they yeah, otherwise would. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And you've got the top minds there to um, all come to the table. So, yeah, it makes life a bit easier for the researcher. And why have you signed up to trek 30Ks through the dark of night for the bright walk? I keep asking myself that question. I do like to walk. Uh, I don't normally walk 30Ks. Especially not at night time. Especially not during the <laughs> night. But, hey, it, it sounded like an adventure. And it's for such a great cause to raise awareness. I'm not sure if we could have done it with three kilometres. I think that would still <laughs> have been okay. Probably not enough of a challenge. <laughs> Maybe not. But um, What's the importance of raising awareness and funding, though, for health and medical research? Oh, I think it's so important. We need money to keep doing what we're doing. Getting grants to keep the work going is so hard. It's it's so challenging and the success rates are so low. You, you know, you you know what needs to be done, but you can't always do it because you actually don't, you know, you might not win the grant with the 10% success rate. And spend a lot of your time doing it as oh, well. Oh, so much time. Yeah, it does take up a lot of our time. But I guess as well as the funding, it's also the awareness for the public about the importance of clinical trials because we need people to take part in our trials. So I guess just raising that awareness of the importance and, you know, getting people educated about trials and what they're about, that that needs to be done continuously so people are willing to take part. Because it doesn't happen without the public. It doesn't, no. Um, They're so important. Because we collect reasons with our digital marketing for our clinical trials. We always ask, can you tell us why you signed up for this trial? And I love reading all through those. We've got thousands of responses. This is from pregnant women. And I was a bit surprised. I mean, because you can sort of guess why people might want to, but I was just shocked at how many people, it's pure altruism. It's because they want to help other women. They want to help children. They want to, you know, advance the future of it. So many comments just this. Yeah, I find like it's, yeah, it's amazing. And I hear you've been stepping up your training in preparation for it. How do you know that? <laughs> you told me. <laughs> you've been spying on me. <laughs> yeah, I have. I've, I have been um, trying to walk a, a, a bit more. Um, You're trying just, to come first? <laughs> I don't it's know. It's not a race, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to finish. <laughs> yeah, no. So I normally only do around four kilometres a day and I'm thinking, that's wow. That's pretty good. Oh, is it? Four k's a day, that'll oh, add up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I haven't, I'm not sure if I'll do the whole 30 before the 30. I don't think I will, but I just wanted to tie myself because I was trying to work how long it would take. So I'm thinking around six hours. It's uh, pretty impressive commitment to the yeah. cause, I reckon. Oh, We're very proud of you. <laughs> Um, so when the time comes for you to step away from research, what do you want to be able to look back and say? Uh, look, I, I want to have made a difference, but I I kind of think I've already done that now. But when I do step away, I hope there's more and more. Like I think my part of being part of the all the Omega-3 work, I think I have contributed to making a difference there. 
I hope I get to find answers to a few more questions before I finish, like the iodine and folic acid and um, other other nutrients in pregnancy that we can advise women what the best thing to do is. So I just want to get through as many as I can so you can answer as many questions as I can before I stop. Well, you've done so much tremendous work already and you're a great example of what Samri's about, but there's always going to be more questions to yeah, answer. Yeah, absolutely. That's the fun of it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That's, that's what we're here for. If you want to learn more about Samri and the researchers working to build a brighter, healthier future for you and your family, head to samri.org.au. 